So who do you think Frances Willard was? Hmm, I don't know, maybe a feminist? Definitely somebody from South Campus. An alum or a donor of sorts. She's a suffragist from the 1870s. I don't remember, but she was definitely on my APUSH exam. From the Daily Northwestern, I'm Audrey Hedelman. And I'm Samantha Anderer. This is NUD Classified, Names You Need to Know, where we get the deets on names you've seen around campus but probably haven't thought about. For this episode, we're exploring arguably the most famous historical Evanston resident, Francis Willard. Does that name ring a bell for you? Maybe it takes you back to an APUSH lecture you barely paid attention to. Or maybe the name has simply come to be associated with quesadillas at France Cafe. Well known for her work with the Women's Christian Temperance Union, or WCTU, Willard pioneered the progressive movement of the late 1800s. To find out more about her life and legacy, we talked with director of the Francis Willard House Museum, Lori Osborne. She was a 19th century social reformer, probably best known for her work in prohibition and temperance movement. She, as a young girl, is interested in women's rights. She wouldn't have called it that um, in her time, but she sort of pay, realizes that she's, she has an older brother and she kind of realizes that Oliver gets to do things she doesn't get to do. Her father told her that she couldn't learn how to ride a horse. Soon enough, she decides that she's going to teach her cow to wear a saddle. I mean, he didn't say she couldn't ride the cow. She's determined, um, and her father eventually sort of gets what's going on and says, oh, goodness gracious, okay, you can ride a horse. This solution reflects Willard's approach to resolving the progressive issues of the 1800s. Medill professor and former vice president for university relations, Alan Cubbage, provided more perspective on her contributions to the 19th century progressive movement. I think Frances Willard was really a uh, remarkably influential uh, person in the late 19th century. Uh, she was very much ahead of her time in terms of uh, really pushing hard and really uh, advocating for education of women, uh, suffragette, uh, suffer, uh, votes for women, letting, allowing women to vote, and then, of course, the thing that she's most well known for is uh, the temperance issue, uh, you know, uh, trying to prohibit alcohol. But I think, to an extent, people only know her for her work with the Women's Christian Temperance Union uh, because she was their president or leader for many, many years. But she was also very influential in both, you know, the efforts to get women the right to vote and uh, also uh, education of women. But Willard's story would not be complete without her failings. She was a staunch supporter of temperance, believing it would help keep families together, but relied on black stereotypes to win the support of white Southerners for that issue. She advocated for literacy tests for voting, echoing baseless claims from Southern white people that black people who were illiterate were undermining efforts to pass prohibition laws. She starts giving speeches, and she is clearly uninformed about the realities of the situation and she's also been fed a lot of propaganda that's very racist um, and she regurgitates it she repeats it black journalist and anti-lynching activist ida b wells called her out on this saying that she was slandering black people to support causes that helped white women She's thinking, hang on Frances Willard leads an organization where black women are members. Black women are committed to Willard and her organization, but Willard is not committed to them equally. 
and fairly and with their lives and their concerns in mind. Because if she's going to say these things, clearly she doesn't see things from their point of view and understand the ramifications of her words for her for their lives. Some may push back on these modern calls for intersectionality in 19th century activism by claiming Willard was simply a product of her time, but other prominent white progressives at the time, say the Grimke sisters, supported both black and women's rights. Osborne says that while black women were included in Willard's temperance movement, their voices were far from equal. There was segregated unions in the WCTU. So so we're not going to claim that this is some kind of open, you know, organization, but it's really interesting to watch the dynamics. And and so we're doing we're right now in the middle of a research project to try to figure this story out and really understand what that meant, what it meant for black women, what it meant for the white women who were with them. When did the when did they unify and when did those bonds just break over over race and racism? So we know the, the beginnings of that story. But how did Willard come to be associated with Northwestern? Willard grew up on a farm in Wisconsin, then moved to Evanston in 1858 to attend the women's college there. She went on to serve as an educator across the country, but eventually found her way back to Evanston. She joined the Alpha Phi sorority in 1875 and became the national president in the 1880s, which may explain why their second chapter was established at Northwestern. When Northwestern did go co-educational in 1869, Frances Willard was brought on as the first dean of women. Um, and was head of the women's college um, and ran the women's college program and curriculum and taught. Um, so very early time frame for women, for a university to go co-educational and very early for a woman to be running that college and be in that role conferring degrees, you know, really quite remarkable. It sounds like Northwestern was a little behind but they, it wasn't, it was actually ahead and especially hiring her um, was, was a big deal. Willard was briefly engaged to Charles Henry Fowler, who went on to become president of Northwestern after they broke off the engagement. This led to a bit of animosity between the two. Um, oh my gosh, Charles Fowler becomes president while she's, she's Dean of Women. And they start kind of tussling with the idea of who's in charge of what and Frances believes she's in charge of her students in the women's college and all of uh charles really thinks that um that he's in charge he's the head of the whole university and so they have a disagreement and she decides she can't work under these circumstances and she leaves this very prestigious position Although Frances left the position, she retained her love for the university and Evanston as a whole. She even went so far as to call the city a paradise for women. I would say her most important contribution is broadening women's role in the world, in the public world. That she, through the women's temperance movement, brings all sorts of women out of their homes, out of their churches, and this new public sphere of conversation and activism opens up to them. Willard's presence is still felt today, 
both in Evanston, where her name adorns a residence hall and the museum at her former home, and around the country, where her contributions to the women's rights movement continue to be remembered. So I think that she would be very proud of what's occurred uh, and the fact that women are treated, you know, to a great extent as equals. I know there are still some concerns about that. But I think that, uh, you know, that uh, the work that she did has now led to the situations that we now have. And it took a long time. I mean, honestly, women didn't get the vote until after she passed away. Uh, prohibition, which was not a great experiment, but that occurred again after she passed away. But her influence was still felt all the way through the first two decades of the 20th century, even though she died, you know, in the late 19th century. As you may know, there's, there's in the rotunda of the U.S. Capitol, there are statues of very famous people and for many, many years, the only woman in that rotunda was Frances Willard. Uh, and it, she was there because she was recognized for her work, not just with the WCTU, but her work for women in, in general as well. Following the mindset she'd used to learn horseback riding as a young girl, Willard tried to fight for progress against the constraints of her time. Her legacy, while flawed, is on display in the Frances Willard House Museum which will reopen for tours this summer. What I find so interesting about this is she doesn't break the rules. She wasn't a big rule breaker. She wasn't gonna go against what her father said, but she wasn't gonna take no either. She's gonna do a workaround. She's gonna come around the other side. She's gonna bring him along. She's gonna show him that what he's saying doesn't really make sense. Okay, and this is like an example of what she does like the whole rest of her life when she encounters an obstacle, and she doesn't always get it. She doesn't always succeed. She doesn't always persuade. But she's really about, let's, let's come together. You, we're going to meet in the middle. Osborne says that Willard's accomplishments and failings should both be preserved in history so people can choose for themselves what to take away from her legacy. We feel like this is just one of many stories in our country's history where a leader really fails to lead in a key moment, someone who had the chance to change the way others thought, didn't take that chance, didn't see that as a moment and failed to lead our country. So we feel that talking about this whole story and including Willard in that story is extremely important because how are we gonna understand where we are today if we don't really grapple with this so um so rather than sort of feeling like we want to dismiss her we feel like the more we talk about this and the more we understand it the better we're going to understand ourselves and where we are from the daily northwestern i'm samantha anderer and i'm audrey Hedelman. Thanks for listening to another episode of NUD Classified. This episode was reported and produced by me and Samantha Anderer. The audio editor of the Daily Northwestern is Madison Smith. The digital managing editor is Jordan Manji. And the editor-in-chief is Jacob Clinton. <laughs>